You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. I'm Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor for Nursing Review. Dr. Frederick Gilbert is a philosopher and ethicist in the School of Humanities at the University of Tasmania. He's been studying the positive and negative effects of implantable brain technologies, which are used to treat conditions including Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's, as well as some mental illnesses. I spoke with Gilbert, who is about to spend a year studying this topic at the University of Washington in Seattle, about his research. I started by asking him to provide an overview of his research and its findings. So I work in neuroethics, so uh, and I specifically look at the impact of invasive brain technology on a patient's sense of the self, for instance, or identity, and I try to uh, explore uh, concern associated with uh, self-estrangement, for instance, um, the phenomenology of being implanted. So, uh, this is what I try, I try to do. Um, but I have to, first, I have to admit that most of patients are um, happy when they're um, uh, implanted work well, but there is a substantial and significant number of patients that are experiencing issues, so, and we are, we are focusing on these, these issues. And for what reasons might a patient get uh, an implantable brain technology? Um, well, for instance, the, the, the classic case is Parkinson's disease or dystonia. So the patient lose control of their body slowly, and these devices allow them to uh, get control on their life. Uh, so some patient can't walk anymore, and then as soon as the implant is turned on, they have full control of their body, for instance. So that's spectacular, it's very remarkable, it's a great technology, uh, but again, that doesn't mean that it's quite uh, perfect for every single patient. So and we're focusing on these patients that are experiencing trouble or experiencing weird feelings following the implantation. So patients, for instance, will uh, report that they don't feel themselves anymore, they don't recognize themselves, so it's not clear how it happened but uh, we, 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 we do need to study these cases. Are you able to describe what the technology looks like? Like how big is it, yeah. what shape is it? Oh, uh, well, let's the, the, use the brain stimulation, which is the most common uh, type of implant. So it's also called the pacemaker of the, uh, the, the brain. So it's, it is, depending, it could be, it could be four implants, four leads, uh, which have a lot that about are about 1.4 millimeter long uh, and separated by 1.6 millimeter, and you can have four leads there in the brain depending on what you want to target. Uh, and they they are connected to a battery which sits uh, most of the time on on the, on the chest. And uh, then the the, 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 the the battery is discharging um, electricity, so the electricity goes through the, the device and it is open loop, so the, the, the technology always diffuses uh, electricity or stimulation. That's what we call open loop. But there's a new type of uh, technology called uh, closed loop, where actually the device is connected to a, self- a, self- a software, for instance, or, or a computer, and it adapts uh, on brain activity. So the brain seems to react in a way so that the stimulation might start or stop, for instance. And that, that's the area where we wanted to Thinking about uh, people with Parkinson's or similar uh, diseases that 
have had the implantable brain technology installed. Are you able to give an overview of what the positive attributes of this treatment are and then also what some of the adverse side effects have been? Yeah, so, well, positively speaking, that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, you, you, you have patients that see their quality of life increasing by uh, 90%. So you, you, can even, you can go on YouTube and just Google uh, YouTube and write uh, deep brain stimulation and you will see this, this spectacular and miraculous story. And uh, patients that can't walk, for instance, as soon as the device is turned on, they can walk. People that can't uh, hold a cup of tea suddenly can hold a cup of tea. Um, so that's very, very remarkable. But there's a couple of side effects, and the worst one are, uh, so I would say, the psychosocial side effects, where um, some patients do not recognize themselves. It seems that something is happening to their brain, their identity, they don't relate to themselves anymore. There's cases where uh, you have patients divorcing. There's, there's studies done in France, in France, for instance, uh, where 65% of patients were divorcing following the surgery. And again, the, the patients were not, were, were better after. So something is happening. And uh, the worst case scenario, you have patients uh, committing suicide, for instance. Uh, but again, these are these are minor, uh, kind of minority report, but we need to look into that. You, you mentioned in, in your release and in your research that, you, that these technologies have also been used for psychiatric uh, disorders, for want of a better word, or mental illness, and that has also uh, had some interesting results. Are you able to talk me through what some of those results have been? Yeah, so again, you, 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 we don't have clear evidence that the device can work for... Uh, most psychiatric conditions. So um, the, 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 the most common type of disease or mental disease that, are, that is targeted by um, the, the, the device is, for instance, obsessive compulsive disorder or Tourette syndrome. Um, but when you think about disease such as depression, uh, obesity, uh, Alzheimer's disease, uh, you have experts that disagree on how to define it, how to classify it, but now the technology, we're talking about the invasive brain technology, so people digging all in a skull and putting a plant, trying to targeting Alzheimer's, for instance, uh, dementia, depression, so it's not very well established yet. So we have to conduct more uh, uh, research on that, on that respect. I- you're about to head over to the University of Washington in Seattle in the United States. Are you able to tell me a little bit about how you uh, won that post and what you'll be studying? Yeah, so, so my research will be funded by the Center for Sensorial Motor and Neural Engineer. So I will be conducting research uh, mainly on uh, brain-computer interface uh, devices. Uh, so they are the new technologies that relate, uh, for instance, artificial intelligence to uh, invasive uh, brain technologies. So we, 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 we have examples such as advisory device, advisory brain device. So you have got a device that can predict ahead a neuronal event that's going to happen, and they can inform the patient ahead. So basically the patient receives a kind of a, uh, warning, and they have to decide what to do. That's what they'll call advisory. But the impact of these devices that are 
uh, are monitoring the brain uh, on an ongoing basis. We have no data at all on how it affects a patient's sense of the self, identity, and, and then we need to explore that uh, more. Um, and uh, there's different area uh, to, to, to be explored and how, for instance, it will uh, lead patients to make specific decisions. So you can think of a device that is uh, not accurate enough, for instance, and will not invite the patient to take enough medication, but you can have the opposite where a medication is taken too often and you can yes, for instance, potentially a form of addiction to a drug that could uh, result out of it. And also, I uh, was reviewing a paper lately where uh, a patient that was implanted and treated for depression had to go to a funeral. And the patient couldn't, be, couldn't feel sad, couldn't be, uh, relate to the, the sadness of the event. And for the patient, it was a bit traumatizing, actually. So, and you see that these devices, despite the fact that they enhance and increase the quality of life, they Still need, we still need to uh, control how they discharge their therapeutic response because in the case of the funeral, you have someone that is more traumatized and not sure that it really helps them in the long term to, to, to experience that particular event. Over the, over the coming years in the future, thinking forward maybe 10 years, what other illnesses, diseases or conditions do you think that this technology can be used to effectively treat? Uh, in uh, prosthetic limbs. So uh, some of my future colleagues in, in Washington are working these, these issues. So some engineers are using prosthetic arm, for instance, uh, to, to, to help uh, ex-militaries, uh, for instance. And then you have the computer that can sort of breach the brain with the prosthetic arm. So um, and the, the, lately the, the, the tendency is to induce a a feeling of the experience of being uh, implanted. So in other terms, you, you can now blindfold a patient that is implanted with a device, a brain device, but also with a prosthetic arm, and you can touch their finger, and they could know which finger is touched without you know seeing which finger has been touched. So you can see that it's not only about the brain telling what to do, but also how the prosthetic arm can react to the environment. So it's pretty interesting how Will, it will impact humans. So if you can imagine that if you have a, a prosthetic arm, it will be probably stronger than a human arm. So if you have you know, artificial legs that are faster, stronger, that bring question of enhancement and how patient experience this enhancement is not clear. As we know from the science fiction movies, or a superhero always have a phase where they, come not, they do not cope well with being a superhero. They don't feel great. So again, if, if you are implanted with this device, this prosthetic, it's not clear how we will, you know, as a human, as a, as a human, how a human will react to this. 